Welcome to the School of Unlearning. I'm your host, Elisa Haggerty. I've always believed in the power of questions. They create a gap, a space where we pause and begin to challenge the world around us. Without questions, we're stuck in the trance of life, a life given to us versus one created with agency. Your journey to rethink and unlearn the norms no longer serving you begins now. Hey, everybody. So for this episode, episode 43, uh, the School of Unlearning podcast, I'm sitting down with a powerhouse of um, insight and practical tools. And her name is Kelsey Fox Bennett Boyd. And let me tell you a little bit about her before I dive into the podcast itself. Kelsey is an educator. She's a brain gym consultant and an author. Kelsey has been working with kids and adults with a specialization in supporting those who are highly sensitive for over a decade. She has taught across the U.S. and internationally at conferences, schools, and community education programs, including Well Summit, Warrior Revolution Retreat, and the New York State Child Abuse Prevention Conference, as well as the Brain Gym International Conference. Kelsey empowers people of all ages with practical tools to help them reconnect to themselves, rewire outdated patterns, plus one to that, and feel safe and capable in both their mind and their body. Her new book, Aria and Everyone Else's Feelings, celebrates sensitivity and empowers readers to release the weight of other people's feelings and feel safe and protected as they support those they care most about. Kelsey was born and raised in the Rocky Mountains of Colorado, and she now lives in New York City with her daughter and her husband. And if you're listening to this podcast before April 22nd, there is still time to click on the link in the show notes and support Kelsey's Kickstarter, which is helping her um, put to press her new book, Aria and Everyone Else's Feelings, which we do talk about today on the podcast. So a couple of reasons why this podcast is near and dear to my heart. It weaves a lot of the work I do in my conscious leadership coaching, um, but Kelsey brings her own flavor and her own insights to it. Kelsey helps us understand what a brain gym consultant is and how some of her early childhood experiences, both with health and with family, help shape her inclination to go and pursue the mind-body connection. And if you're listening to this podcast and you're someone who's been told that you're too sensitive, you're going to really love segments of this podcast because we talk about why sensitivity is one of the greatest gifts and how to work with people uh, when they tell you you're too sensitive. And lastly, we talk about the power of emotions and how they're data, not directives, and how to create new neural pathways in your brain so you can actually regulate and live the life that you want versus feeling like you are held captive by your emotions. So thanks for listening today. Please share this podcast far and wide with everyone who needs it. Uh, teachers, clinicians, parents, uh, I can't think of anybody in the world who doesn't need to listen to this podcast episode. And uh, thank you, Kelsey, for being an incredible guest and uh, enjoy my friends. Kelsey, welcome to the School of Unlearning. Thank you so much for having me. <laughs> yeah. Um, so we're filming this in mid-March. It's coming out the end of March. And you have so many exciting things coming up in your life, in your business. Mm -hmm. Some of those I spoke to in the introduction. Um, and before we get into the good stuff here, the book, the work you do um, as a brain gym consultant, as an author, as a speaker, um, as someone who's a champion and an advocate of the brain-body connection, um, I know that that is something you had to learn early on. That's something you had to learn to survive. It wasn't something you decided to do just for fun. It was like <laughs> something that you pursued or it pursued you, we could say. Um, so for the audience, tell us a little bit about um, first start with what a brain gym consultant is, and then just tell us how you got interested or how this fell into your life. Um, and we'll go from there. 
Absolutely. So a brain gym consultant, brain gym is a form of educational kinesiology, which is kind of fancy words, but simply means uh, simple intentional movements that you do with your body that reduce stress and reconnect areas of your brain. Mm -hmm. Um, And I was introduced to this actually by my mom's best friend, who was one of the first ever licensed brain gym consultant and instructors. Uh, And so the how I fell into it, (laughs) or how it, it came to me out of need was that when I was a baby, five and a half months old, I got bacterial spinal meningitis. So I became deathly ill and they rushed me to the hospital locally in Colorado, but they, it was a small hospital. They didn't have what they needed to serve me there. So they helicoptered me to Denver and, um, And for the first four days, they weren't sure if I was going to live. And then after that, once they knew I was going to be okay, then it was more about quality of life. And they were just uncertain uh, if I would have learning challenges, if I would lose my hearing, which sometimes happens uh, with people who have survived bacterial spinal meningitis. Mm -hmm. And my uh, mom was a yoga teacher and she already was very um, aware of other types of healing, right? And so I'm so thankful for the hospital, so thankful for the doctors there. And I am so thankful that when they took, they handed me back to my mother, (laughs) my mom took me home and reached out to her support systems. So one of her best friends, as I mentioned, uh, was Colleen Gardner, who um, is one of the first licensed brain gym instructors and consultants ever. And there were like three people who first received their licensure from the founders, Paul and Gail Dennison. Mm -hmm. And I received the work as a baby and just continued to receive the work. And it made a huge difference in my life I think the the biggest notable difference that it made was um, like yes I loved learning more than my peers I used these tools before sports games before tests I just had a support system to lean on uh, and some of the supposed challenges that I was supposed to have did not happen Um, but the other thing that really became notable about these tools was when I was nine, I watched a friend get hit by a car and die. Mm -hmm. And I was with a few other friends at the time. And I remember just being so disembodied, so disconnected. I I definitely left, you know, left my body. Mm -hmm. And luckily within the next day or two, I was able to have a session with Colleen and essentially we come back, I come back home to my body through these tools. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that experience really made me realize how potent and how important these tools were. And for me, anytime anything emotional came up, I would want to have a session with Colleen to help process it. Yeah, because it was more than just the physical body. It was 
you know, how, how safe I felt or how connected I felt or how, um, present I felt. So it was very powerful for me. So Kelsey, this is, uh, one of those life stories that, you know, uh, it sounds like brain gym and the mind body connection intentionally found you. And I just want to give a pause to your mom, (laughs) like shout out to mom, for thinking about the mind body and not just saying, let's go home and continue the same path. I mean, mm-hmm. um, and, and, and obviously to the doctors who saved your life, I mean, that, that is no joke, um, that type of, you know, um, you know, condition to be in. And how old were you when you were a baby, when you got this? Five and a half months. Jeez Louise, yeah. your sweet little body and brain were just coming online and, and you were there fighting for your life. Mm-hmm. Um, well, you're scrappy and it's you've been <laughs> scrappy ever since. So I, I want to just go back into, um, to, to the brain gym consultant work, you know, and I, I have a very felt sense of what it is that you do, um, just through somatic practices and the work that I do, even with some of my clients, but in, in everything you said makes perfect sense. Like the trauma of seeing your friend pass in a car accident and just leaving the body. I think everyone here who's listening has had times where they've left the body. They've just mm-hmm. not even intentionally, obviously it's just this disassociation from mm-hmm. such a high stress, high trauma environment. Um, in some ways that leaving the body is protective, right? We could, we know that it's a way of like self-preservation. We have to though reconnect and reintegrate with the body safely sounds like brain gym is one of the many mediums to do that, like the, the exercises. So can you, because it's selfish for me here, I have, um, seven more meetings today. So I want to make sure I I know some tools and how to get back into my body that above what I already do, but tell me, tell me what are some examples of some of the stuff you've done to prep for today or busy days that are brain gym exercises that people can connect with. Absolutely. Uh, so one of my favorites is a four-step process that we call PACE, and it stands for uh, positive, active, clear, and energetic. And so it's a four-step process that we use in Brain Gym all the time to help prepare the brain and body to do any type of new learning, mm-hmm. to just feel positive, active, clear, and energetic. Mm-hmm. And so we start from the bottom up. And we start with energy, which is actually sipping water is the tool because it is so important for our brain Mm -hmm. to have hydration Mm -hmm. and for all of the neural pathways to do what they're meant to do. You need Mm -hmm. to have uh, water Mm -hmm. (laughs) because that's how they, that's how the energy travels. I just have to ask, someone's probably listening, thinking, can I do this with coffee? Is that the same, (laughs) the same thing? (laughs) It is not the same. I just know someone's listening saying, well, I take drinks of liquid before a meeting. So go ahead. Um, yeah, it's not quite the same as, yeah, yeah. as water. So, right. um, you know, hydration is good on all levels, but coffee especially will dehydrate you. Um, mm-hmm. so water is a lovely tool to use and to remember to use. And we have all these sensors in our mouth even. So when we're sipping water, it, the sensors in our mo- mouth already alert the brain that hydration is on the way. Right. Um, so sipping water throughout the day can be really powerful. Or if you're feeling really drained, water is so wonderful. I mean, I could talk about water for a while, but (laughs) Uh, step two is becoming more clear. And that's a tool called brain buttons. Mm -hmm. And so for that, we make a C with the hand. We find the collarbone, go two notches below. There's a soft spot on either side of the sternum. Mm -hmm. 
And sometimes these points are tender. You can just hold them or massage them, mm. uh, whatever you like. These are K27 meridian points in acupressure. Um, so this other hand goes on your belly button and that's just an anchor, uh, a central point. And you breathe and hold or massage these points. And I've, I've heard many lovely people say that they want to do this all the time after the first time they do it. <laughs> um, these points in acupressure also help with back pain. Uh, so if it, it, you know, these points in the front help what's happening in your back as well. Uh, and then you, we may always make sure to do it on the other side as well. So switch hands. So it's like, it's like the tip of the collarbone my hand is on. My, so it, it, so yeah. this is the collarbone, right? So you go a couple of ribs down. There's like this soft spot right in the middle. Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay. So that's brain buttons. And then to become more active in our body, we do cross crawl, which is connecting a hand to the opposite leg. Mm-hmm. So I could stand and do this, but you can do it seated as well. Just and back and forth. Yeah. Back and forth. So, so any, interesting. any cross body activity yeah. uh, will help you do this. So, you know, I've heard people say that, you know, knitting or something uh, or doing any type of sports, you know, right. can help their brain work better, not only because they're getting physical activity, but also because they're waking up that connection between right and left hemispheres. So the corpus callosum in the center of our brain, which is like this butterfly shaped uh, part of the brain uh, connects the right and left hemispheres so that they can talk to each other. So by doing any very simple cross-body movement, movement, you're inviting the hemispheres to communicate because the, the right side of our brain talks to the left side of the body and vice versa. Left side of the brain talks to the right side of the body. Mm -hmm. <sighs> so that's becoming more active in brain mm -hmm. and body. And then um, hookups, which is one of my absolute favorites on the planet. <laughs> yes. Um, you cross your ankles beneath you. And then you do with your arms. It's like if you were, um, if you're a yoga person, you may recognize eagle pose. It's very similar to that. Right. Um, but to get into it, because especially I work with kids too, we do thumbs up, thumbs down. Uh, okay. Cross them over. Right. Clasp and then zip up your coat. So thumbs down with them crossed. Right. Your arms are out. Arms are long. Yeah. <laughs> you got the microphone in my arm. Yeah. I know, okay, right? Cool. And then we and then, just cross and and then zip up your coat so you yeah. get nice and cozy. And yeah. if that's uncomfortable, people can just put their hands near their neck. But yeah. to cross the ankles and to cross the arms intimately like that helps to bring all of the energy back to the core of the body and thereby calming the nervous system mm -hmm. because when we're under stress all of our all of our energy goes to our extremities so that mm -hmm. we can run or fight or mm -hmm. um, freeze or whatever it is so that we can hold energy out here and right. by inviting energy back to the core of our body we're telling our system we're safe we can you know we can come mm -hmm. back to ourselves mm -hmm. um 
so that's the first part of hookups is to be there and breathe deeply. And then the second part is to unhook ankles and, and arms and bring fingertips together just as a way to signal I'm mm-hmm. back. Mm-hmm. Um, but that tool has greatly served me because of my sensitivity. Um, my nervous system um, gets overwhelmed at times. And also because of some of my childhood traumas, I get triggered. Mm. And Mm -hmm. these, that tool specifically has been such a wonderful gift in helping me feel safe wherever I am uh, and come back to my body and calm my system. And oh my gosh, as a parent, (laughs) um, that tool, when my child's feelings are through the roof and I may not have capacity in that moment to hold them Mm. that tool helps me stay calm and positive and present um, in stressful situations so it's one of my most favorites you know Kelsey it's like everything you're saying um, and in this video will come out too it'll be on YouTube so people can see some of our demos of what we're doing but you did a great job with words explaining simply what we have to do with our hands and our feet but so many of these tools are like, some people might be doing them without even knowing it. Some people will be doing it. Also just the framing of understanding the brain and the body and effectively what you were saying when you were crossing right hand to left knee and left hand to right knee, that idea of cross-functional movement or bilateral movement that is used a lot and and speak more on this because you know about it more than I do, but it's used a lot in in things like EMDR and helping people recover from serious trauma. I have a number of, you know, I have a therapist who's great, but also have people in the community who have been trauma therapists and they have Mm -hmm. taken kids who've gone through school shootings and helped them literally just go through tapping left to right and left to right. And so if you could, for anyone listening about EMDR and bilateral tapping and um, connecting to the body and how that works with the nervous system and the brain, if you can dive in a little bit, that'd be cool. Um, because that is like used in clinical settings and in Mm -hmm. holistic settings to help people, um, regulate. Absolutely. Yeah. So I, I'm not an EMDR specialist myself, but I have used it myself. Right. (laughs) And I, some of my friends are EMDR trained and I have done some reading about it as well, but Yes, I was so excited (laughs) when I experienced it to realize how Brain Gym was a simple representation or representative of this, uh, what you just mentioned, the bilateral cross-lateral movement, Mm -hmm. and just keeping both sides of the brain uh, engaged and awake because what happens during trauma is there is a there's a disconnect, Mm -hmm. there is a break where like we mentioned before, perhaps you leave your body, you dissociate, you are no longer present and able to actually move through to the other side of the trauma. There's a point where you become stuck Mm -hmm. and uh, the bilateral movements or, you know, in EMDR, sometimes it's auditory, sometimes it's touch, um, And sometimes it's using the eyes and we Mm -hmm. utilize the eyes and brain Mm -hmm. gym a lot as well. Um, 
because you know the eyes when they're working together if they're moving right and left they Mm -hmm. are coordinating both sides of the brain as well Mm -hmm. and so paul and gail dennison i'm doing a small tangent here paul and gail Mm -hmm. dennison one of paul's focuses was actually supporting kids in reading and uh, being able to read a simple sentence requires both sides of the brain working together on so many levels, not just right. the eyes coordinating and functioning together, but um, the brain being able to take in the details and the big picture constantly in order to uh, decipher words and decipher meaning of sentences and then paragraphs. And so a lot of the brain gym work was very supportive for that. And I will go a step further and say that a lot of kids, a lot of my work with kids is making them feel safe in their bodies, because if they do not feel safe, they will not learn Mm -hmm. because there is that disconnect, right? If we are in a place of fear or um, trigger or, um, you know, the nervous system feeling unsafe, then there will be that separation of our brain from our body and the separation of right and left hemispheres. So yes, essentially in EMDR, what you're doing is you are returning to something that was very traumatic for you. Well, first you're building up resources so that you can return safely, (laughs) but then you are returning to something that has been very traumatic and you are essentially rewiring your relationship to it. You are making sure your brain stays connected through that stuckness, through that moment of trauma so that you can get to the other side and the other side, meaning um, a place where the trauma no longer keeps you stuck. You can uh, see it from a different perspective and relate to it physically in a different way. Yeah. Is that making sense? (laughs) It does. It does. For me, it does. And I think that, um, there's just so much power in coming back to the body and so many mediums to do it. And I think the one thing I've learned and loved about, you know, um, medicine and therapy and all kinds of mind body connection practices over the years is that there's so much crossover and yes, so much. um, And I think it's because I don't know, in the last 40, 50 years, we have learned more about the brain than we ever knew before. Mm -hmm. You, you know, this, so please take the mic and run with it. But like, we didn't, we didn't think, um, we didn't think 60 years ago that the brain could create new neural pathways after mm-hmm. birth. We thought that the number of neurons you had when you were born was what you just had. And your, right. your intelligence was just what it is. And that obviously now we know our brains are neuroplastic and they can create new pathways and repair. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just think it's, it's beautiful and fascinating. And especially in a world today where we are one click away from disassociation we are one click away from being somewhere else. In fact, we're almost always elsewhere. Like, yeah. yeah, we're almost always somewhere else because yeah. our mind has been trained to to leave the moment, mm-hmm. the room, and the body. Mm-hmm. Um, so go back to sort of uh, your mom begins to bring you some of these therapies. You grow mm-hmm. up, and you have other life experiences too that 
add to the fabric of how you perceive and how you feel in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, and you also mentioned that you work with people who are um, with people who are highly sensitive, highly sensitive people, um, which I'm definitely one of those people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but you know, it's interesting. I worked for a medical company for five years called Parsley Health, and we had doctors who were just so great and progressive and trained in functional medicine, and they were just like, you know, sharp. And they were the first ones to introduce to a lot of us that highly sensitive people is like an actual clinical diagnosis. Like that's, that's a thing, you know, mm-hmm. and, it, you know, and you, you grow up in this world with people saying ridiculous things to you. Like you're so sensitive and you're, you're mm-hmm. so touchy. And I'm like, yeah, I am because I'm paying attention. And also mm-hmm. y'all crazy. So <laughs> <laughs> um, you're yelling Can you stop yelling, you know, that kind of thing. So I remember as a kid growing up as the youngest of seven, seven children, just being mm-hmm. like totally stressed out all the time. Mm-hmm. So anyway, um, just talk to us a little bit about you know, why this work is important for people who are highly sensitive and and what, what it means to be highly sensitive, both how we know and what it gives us as a tool to survive in this world. Yes. Oh, so I can so much relate to a lot of what you were sharing already, but to step back just a bit, uh, Dr. Elaine Aaron is the one who really coined the term highly sensitive person. Mm -hmm. And she began her research, I believe is 1991, when she really began doing her research. And, and as you mentioned, so I want to say it's 20% of uh, the population is highly sensitive. And so what that means is you were born with a more sensitive nervous system. Right. And so this is not something that just comes on because of trauma or because of, you know, life situations or how you were raised or anything like that. It really is more how you entered the world. Um, And a more highly sensitive nervous system means you are more sensitive to sensory information. Mm -hmm. So sounds, sights, uh, smells, touch, you know, anything tactile, all of these things um, affect you more deeply, or you are more heightened awareness of them. And so this can relate to people who like can't wear a shirt with a tag on it type of thing, like sensory information can affect you so much that it can bother you type of thing. Um, light, if lights are humming or too bright or flickering, um, flickering. Oh my gosh. (laughs) I mean, the the pain and the horror of flickering lights and bright lights that are just too much. Like I remember working in an, in an office, right. A big company and just like the neon lights and, Mm -hmm. and our HR people be like, it's totally normal. And I'm like, is it? Cause this seems completely not okay <laughs> right um, and sorry, headache, headache yeah. Induce, inducing yeah for sure yeah. so so there's those sensory sensitivities and then there's also the awareness both because of the sensory sensitivities but also the awareness of of moods of other people of emotions yeah. of yeah. and the other piece about that a lot of highly sensitive people tend to care for others and yes it's you know, it's partially because we have big hearts, but I also believe it's partially because our well-being is tied to the well-being of others. So we are constantly monitoring if the people around us feel happy or at ease, because if they don't, we will feel it. And then, 
you know, so us keeping them happy and well means we stay at a place of ease, but that takes a lot of energy as well. Yeah. So, um, so more sensitivities around that. And then another big marker of the trait is just overthinking, uh, thinking about everything, um, so deeply that you're considering all sides and worrying about every aspect, which there's such a gift to that, right? There's such a gift to being able to take into account everything that's happening, but it's also can be very draining again, because it's just uh, constantly worrying or thinking about every detail of an experience or an interaction. Um, and so all of these things are different parts of the trait. And part of that is, you know, our, the awareness of the trait is that it's really, um, as we mentioned before, something we're born, born with. And what Dr. Elaine Aaron talks about is that it doesn't always only exist in humans. It exists in other species as well, this high mm -hmm. sensitivity. Mm -hmm. And it's because how it protects us over, or has protected us over time as a community is we are the ones that tend to stop and think and evaluate before we take action. Mm -hmm. Whereas, you know, some other members of society would just be like, I'm going for it, you know, which has mm -hmm. a benefit as well. We, we are more likely to pause, think about everything and, and then take action from that space. Yeah. So I think highly sensitive people are, I'm, I'm biased, but I think they're really intelligent. <laughs> I think you want them in your corner. <laughs> I think you want them in your corner when you're building a home or when you're caring for people and when you, um, need, need that awareness, um, mm -hmm. I, yeah, I, I think there's just so much there just about also for me, my own unlearning, right? Like mm -hmm. that it's just, that it's actually an asset, right? And of course I've learned, you said something really poignant that highly sensitive people feel like the people around them are tied to their well being, right? Mm -hmm. So we want to keep mom and dad happy and healthy. Mm -hmm. So we become good. We don't get mm -hmm. in trouble. We get good grades because we know that if they're upset, then it might threaten our literally our well-being or our day, or if we get snacks or if we don't, right? So it's like, I, in some ways, I had to unlearn in adult life that it, it's they can regulate their own emotions. They will yes. have sadness and anxiety, and that's actually not my responsibility. But that that's a big unlearning for me. And I'm curious, just like, you know, you your work does touch upon as a brain gym consultant, as an author, as, you know, as, as your book is coming out, right. In the next couple weeks and months, like the power of moving from feeling as a highly sensitive person, let's just say, and anyone who just feels aware of other people's emotions, that we are responsible for their emotional health and output. And that we have to fit ourselves in a box to make sure that the room is safe and happy. Like th that's not sustainable, right? Like that gets right. exhausting. And we could call that martyrdom. We could call that disassociation and we can call that um being a hero and temporarily solving the situations mm -hmm. you know in the room so that no one feels bad about it you know and anyway so that unlearning from that place of observation to 
empowering other people to have their emotions like mm-hmm. and, and letting it just just for me I had to learn how to be comfortable with sadness deeply I had to learn how to totally. really sit with sadness like sadness is now one of my favorite emotions because I just mm-hmm. think it's just so rich and beautiful and frankly light for me mm-hmm. it's when I experience it, it's what I feel but um I didn't always, but now I do <laughs> So, because I've befriended it. Right. So just talk to us about that transition of unlearning our responsibility for other people's emotions. And then get into this point where, man, we, we can look at the rich tapestry of life around us and really encourage others to be in that space too. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Plus one over here. <laughs> I know. Oh my goodness. Yes. My brain with everything that you're sharing so much is coming up. Um, uh, for me, it was anger as a child. Uh, anger was not acceptable. It was not mm-hmm. allowed. Mm-hmm. And, and allowing myself to feel it and channel it now as an adult has been so powerful for me Mm -hmm. um so I just wanted to mention that but yes feelings are so important and I too very much took care of everyone (laughs) and it wasn't until I was much older and did a lot of healing work on myself uh, to again, as you say, recognize that I did not need to take care of others, nor was it my responsibility. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and a lot of the work that I am doing now, so I think now's a good time to introduce introduce the book because a lot of the work that I'm doing now is talking about my book and introducing it and talking about feelings. So the book is called Arya and Everyone Else's Feelings. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's by me and illustrated by a wonderful human, Louis Chin, who is local here to New York City. And in creating this book, I really had little Kelsey and um, a lot of my clients in mind, a lot of my kid clients in mind. And in fact, the book was born out of working with one of my kid clients who had taken on the weight of other people's feelings. And Mm -hmm. we had an entire session Mm -hmm. about releasing that weight and allowing her to just focus on herself. And I remember leaving that session, wanting to hand her something, wanting to have another resource that she could turn to to come mm-hmm. back to herself and Arya and everyone else's feelings was born from that and in this book Arya is a kid and goes around her diverse city neighborhood which she loves and she loves all of her diverse friends and neighbors and most of the time they make her feel very happy but on this particular day they are all having big feelings that have absolutely nothing to do with her but mm-hmm. she takes them on and carries them home and her dad then asks her about her day teaches her about empathy <clears throat> and teaches her a three step process which is feel your feet shake out the feelings and imagine your protection mm. And through this three-step process, she, of course, is coming back to her body, right? She is shaking is something that all mammals do quite naturally after stress. Mm. And uh, there's a, I first learned of it through Qigong Mm -hmm. um, as a way to 
yeah, literally re reorganize the the body after any trauma and um and release all that stress that had been built up through the traumatic or stressful experience Mm. and then imagine imagine your protection which you know in emdr even part of it is resourcing right is imagining our safe place imagining our um our nurturer our protector our imagination is so powerful because whatever we imagine our body also feels and so by imagining uh you know what would make her feel more safe and protected and for her it's three animals a fox, a flying horse, and an eagle, which was actually taken from a little girl Kelsey writing that I did. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so having her imagine that um, allows her to have something to call on or someone to call on uh, when this situation happens again. Next time she goes out to see her friends, she can imagine having these animals by her side. And that changes how she feels, that changes how she interacts and how she moves through the world. So anyway, I'm very excited (laughs) to have created this book because little girl Kelsey needed this book. And I know that there are so many other sensitive kids who could use this understanding that they don't have to carry the weight of other people's feelings Mm -hmm. and that they can come back to themselves again and again and again. And the other fun thing is that what you imagine could change every time that you're in a different situation, you might imagine something different that you might need in that moment. Right. Uh, So there's a very adaptability part Mm. of, of this, uh, of this tool and this process as well. It's almost like the, the third, the three steps, which I want to review with you. The third one, imagine, you know, something, a, a space that is safe for you. Imagine something that is protecting you. Um, to your point, like it can change, you can have, you could do it once and twice. And of course, you know, and again, I think probably kids and people do this, like without even knowing they're doing it, but this is a really clear book for young children to begin to understand that you can use the power of the mind to like, yeah, you can go somewhere else intentionally. And the visualization of that and the felt sense of that feeling allows your body to come down and to regulate. And that's, Mm -hmm. that's a tool, that's a skill. Mm -hmm. And the more, and more scenes that they imagine that make them feel safe, the more it's almost like the the library of safety in their mind becomes mm-hmm. robust and they know mm-hmm. that they can go there and they can still come back to the body. You know, I think that the first two steps of your, you know, process in the book are really important. Like be, be with mm-hmm. your feet, be where your feet are, shake mm-hmm. it out. Like that's, that's huge, you know? Yeah. Very physical. Yeah. Very physical present moment. Yeah, man. Um, I wish I, I needed this when I was a child. <laughs> Yeah. I just remember like stealing snacks and like gummy bears and going up to climb up trees into the very high top and just eat them and like be quiet because I was mm-hmm. like needing a comfort, you know, and right, you know, sports maybe gave me that a little bit, but basically so did escaping into the trees, you know, which oh yeah, nature is huge. I mean, yeah. nature is so so beautiful. It's such an incredible tool. Yeah, it's a great tool. Mm-hmm. Um the book also, I read it um, and I, you know, I, I think it's a beautiful tool. And I think that one of the things that Aria was experiencing too, was just this awareness of, I was reading it. I was thinking about not only the empathy that she builds for herself and her friends who were going through hard times, but 
how interconnected she is to her community, you know, Mm -hmm. like how much they impact her and how much she begins to see that it's almost like she got, it's like a dose of life and reality. She was having all these great days with them. They were all happy. And then therefore she was happy. And then one day everyone was really having a tough day. Mm -hmm. And she began to be like, Oh, like it's like, it's, it was like a gentle nudge into the reality of like, life could be really hard, but that doesn't mean it has to ruin, you know, our, our day either. Um, So I I felt that as I was reading it as well. Absolutely. And I mean, there's been so much going on in our world the past few years. (laughs) Um, I mean, it's always been happening, but I feel like we as a society have become more and more aware of all that is happening um, against various people in our community. Mm -hmm. And the book also was created through that like it was created through the pandemic and through a lot Mm -hmm. of unlearning that I was doing around being a privileged white woman Mm -hmm. and um you know and a big part of the book wanted I wanted to celebrate as we mentioned before like diverse feelings because diverse feelings are normal and natural Mm -hmm. and and beautiful and Mm -hmm. important and also celebrate diverse humans for all of the same reasons that all of these wonderful people exist in our community and they are integral to um to a joyful supportive celebratory mm-hmm. community mm-hmm. and uh, so the book i really wanted all of that to be part of it and part of the end too one of the going further steps that I have at the very end of the book Mm -hmm. is you know once you're feeling better once you're feeling more in yourself and and in your own body then you can be a more Mm -hmm. service to the Mm -hmm. to the world you Mm -hmm. can go back to Mm -hmm. your friends and say hey can I get you some you know can I help you out in some way so by taking responsibility for our own feelings we can actually be such Mm. more brilliant more loving caregivers which I think a lot of highly sensitive people forget Mm -hmm. I think we have a tendency to give until we are empty yeah and um in supporting ourselves and in caring for ourselves, we can actually be the caregivers that we want to be. Yeah. Uh, And in fact, I will say as a parent, uh, and as one of the things that I am sharing in the, uh, as part of the lead up for the book is tools for big feelings. And one of the things that I talk about is one of the best things that I can do as a parent Mm -hmm. For my child, whether they're highly sensitive or not, but especially if they're highly sensitive, is to take responsibility for my own feelings mm-hmm. and to actively say to my child that I am having a big feeling, but it's mm-hmm. not your responsibility. Yeah. That I am going to take care of myself right now. I am I have told my daughter I am going to sit in the other room and breathe <laughs> because I need to come back to my body. Good. Yeah. And so she knows, and, and again, if the grownups in my life as a child had just said to me, I'm having a feeling and you don't have to take care of me. I'm taking care of myself. Right. Right. Life-changing. I mean, absolutely life-changing Yeah. if, if I had received that message as a child. 
Well, I think it's incredible and profound that you're doing it now and that you're obviously doing this work. I mean, you're, you're pushing this, um, this toolbox and you're showing people that it's okay to have big feelings and that it's something that you have to take responsibility to regulate. And Mm -hmm. when you do that, the people around you begin to feel less like trepidation and oh no, and walking on eggshells or trying to solve it all for you. And I also think there's some through line here that like we rob other people of their own emotional landscape. Mm -hmm. If we just swoop in and take care of it, like we actually, we actually weaken their muscles. Mm -hmm. Like they don't get to develop those muscles. They continue to flex the muscle of avoidance, Mm -hmm. flex the muscle of disassociation. If we decide to swoop in and like take their, take the tapestry of their emotional landscape. I I just think it's for parents, for people in companies, for teachers, for everyone out there, I think the through line here is like the more confident and attuned you are to your own emotional capacity, mm-hmm. the better you're going to be and the better the people around you are going to be. There's going to be mm-hmm. less panic, less need to you know, swoop in and save the day. And I think that mm-hmm. it's something that I don't know. I think we'll probably be 92 and still practicing a little bit. Yes. Like it's, it's, it's a life skill. It's, it's, it's not ongoing. something. And it's not even something we can intellectually know. I think it's really cool to be at this place and know that. Mm-hmm. Um, but we got to practice it. I think that's what your work does with, you know, the brain gym and um, the actual tools you provide people. I think that is mm-hmm. just profound. So I work uh, in, in my work as a leadership coach. I work with a lot of executives, founders, CEOs, people who are doing incredible work in the world. And um, when you were talking about if they can regulate, if you can regulate your emotions, you know, that your daughter feels less responsible. One of the big things I talk about is taking radical responsibility for Mm. your life. And to me, that means like taking your piece of the pie of the drama. So if there is a fight, if there is a a level of discontent in the office or people are frustrated and gossiping, like your role, you got to look at how you've contributed, how you've, how you haven't, how you've, you know, kept the drama going. And a lot of that does come back to, for these people who are high powered, making a lot of money. I have a lot of professional athletes too. I work with people on grand big stages. Everyone is underdeveloped in this area. Mm -hmm. And I say that so lovingly that they just, they're, they're not trained or attuned to like, oh, I'm nervous about how this meeting might go. I'm nervous how, my colleagues will receive the fact that we have to lay people off. And so we go, they go in there and they kind of like sugarcoat it or they try to save the day and make it positive instead of just being like, this is a sad situation right? and it's okay to be sad and right. it's okay to be scared. And it's just that, that validation, that naming of the emotional capacity is something that I'm seeing on the corporate side is a rare rare skill. And it's something that I teach, but it's just rare. And it cripples the people around us Mm -hmm. from being able to feel feelings. And, Mm -hmm. you know, you, you said something really interesting before that all mammals have a process of shaking it out. Mm -hmm. And we, I don't know if you know, Dr. Joan Rosenberg, but she wrote the book 90 seconds to a life you love. And she Mm -hmm. did a couple Ted talks. She talks about, and so does, um, what's her name? The woman, uh, uh, who had a stroke. She's a neuroscientist and she works oh. for Harvard and Jill Bolte-Taylor. There you go. Jill Bolte-Taylor also talks her. about this in her TED talk that emotions have a 90 second window of mm-hmm. looping at the, at the max. Mm-hmm. And when they continue after 90 seconds, like from the moment of trigger, right? The body has a physical reaction. You can feel a surge in energy, a, a hotness, um, jitteriness, a, you know, mm-hmm. redness in the body, just come up to the body. Mm-hmm. 
and it could only last 90 seconds. If it lasts more than 90 seconds, it's because you're, you have a narrative that keeps it going. This shouldn't mm-hmm. be happening. This shouldn't mm-hmm. be happening. They should be doing this and I'm, they're wrong and I'm right. Mm-hmm. And that can, that looping happens and it paralyzes us. And those mm-hmm. feelings don't become temporary. They become states. Mm-hmm. And so just, I want you to talk a little bit more about just like the emotional looping um, or the, the cognitive looping that can happen when we don't allow our bodies to like step into the three steps you allow, outlined in your book and some of the tools you teach. Oh my goodness. Okay. <laughs> yes. One of the biggest things that I do in private sessions with people is to create a new neural pathway is mm-hmm. to create a new relationship to whatever it is that they um, are attempting to stand in. Mm-hmm. So let's say in a relationship with someone, if you want to feel more um, connected, supported, um, clear, uh, however you want to feel in this relationship or in your work, or um, if you're about to go to an activity or perform or, you know, whatever it is that you're about to do, And I ask them how they want to feel. And then we set an intention around, okay, I feel clear, calm, and at ease as I ask my boss for a raise or whatever it is, or Mm -hmm. as I talk Mm -hmm. to my dad about this challenging thing or whatever it is. And we have all of this, this whole history of experience connected to that sentence right Mm -hmm, so mm -hmm. all of that like you mentioned the emotional looping our history our culture all the messages we've received Mm -hmm. all of these things influence how our brain is attempting to interpret it or um, make sense of it and it creates a lot of turmoil in our body typically because Mm -hmm. we have felt uh, uncomfortable in these situations for so long. We have created these states that we are now living in. And when we first create this new neural pathway, it's about noticing what's happening in the body that's not in alignment with this vision that we desire, mm-hmm. and then rewiring. So helping the body become more at ease, helping the body feel more clear. And then when we imagine the situation, we actually feel what we are saying or what we're imagining so that there's alignment in the the vision or the the thought Mm -hmm. as well as in the body. Because we can say, I'm clear when I talk to my dad or whatever it is, but physically we're like, well, no way. (laughs) Yeah. Our bodies tell us really quickly where we are. Exactly. And so the whole process is noticing what's coming up in the body. How much in alignment are we actually with what we desire Mm -hmm. and then rewiring. So that alignment becomes real so that we can actually feel clear and at ease or empowered or strong or whatever it is, as we're moving about in our lives. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of my work is getting through that chatter. Now, the one thing about it is that in order for that new neural pathway to survive and thrive, because we have created such a strong, I talk about it, like it's a highway, Mm -hmm. like the highway of me feeling insignificant when I speak to 
you know, whether it's my dad or uh, a boss or whatever, this person in my life, the highway that I have created mm-hmm. is is so strong in my brain because we've traveled there every day again Mm -hmm. and again and again, right? Mm -hmm. So that when we create this new neural pathway, in order for that new neural pathway to thrive, we have to travel it again and again. And I provide something that I call a daily self-love practice so that you can encourage the brain to stay on that new neural pathway Mm -hmm. so that it becomes more of a highway or a -hmm. a road or whatever it is. And Mm -hmm. the the, the one that you've traveled and traveled starts to like become weeded over, Mm -hmm. right? It's still there. It's a great visual. You you may travel it sometimes, but you're encouraging your brain to travel on this new path. And a lot of the self-love work is like, how quickly can we reroute to the mm-hmm. new path because we're still gonna that I mean that's that's, a that's not gonna it's go anywhere tempting. yeah yeah yeah, <laughs> it's, yeah. it's not really gonna to go, go anywhere it doesn't matter how evolved you are you're still gonna have reactivity right. about power dynamics or big conversations I mean right and so I love that visual I've used the visual before I thought of it as ski slopes like I have a ski slope oh, yeah. that is really like grooved the groove is really deep and mm-hmm. then I'm trying to go down a new fresh mountain with fresh mm-hmm. powder and it is not it's like I want to go down that mountain it's but it's really <laughs> choppy and I don't I can't get down really easily so I like to imagine I think the highways is really cool that we've traveled that a lot um mm-hmm. uh there's a question here for me so I I think about and I don't know if you've studied or seen some of the work of like Gay and Catherine Hendricks, the Hendricks Institute, they do a lot of work within, they were some of like the pioneers, I think in like the sixties and seventies to begin talking about emotions in the corporate world within relationships. I mean, they're sort of like the, um, yeah, some, some of the originals. And so they, they, I did a course with them once where they talked about understanding your fear signature. Mm. And so, okay. So there's, you know, fight and flight. We all know that, or like, fight or flight. And then we also know there's freeze. And mm-hmm. we also know that within the social spectrum, there's fawn. And mm-hmm. so there are these ways that we respond from probably like, and jump in here, like, I don't know, birth, our nervous system, our social conditioning that we, when our boss starts to talk, I mean, I'll freeze. I'll yeah. kind of go <gasps> and I can feel my body breathe a little shallow, more shallow. I can feel my hands get sweaty. I can feel my jaw tighten. I can feel that I'm in a freeze response. And I know that because I stopped talking. I stopped adding ideas, (laughs) right? You know, like that was me in my past jobs. I would just be like, I'll hold my breath. And so I've learned a few ways. And I'm wondering if this relates to your work in, in that, like, you said something really important about like, we have to teach our brain and practice new pathways to go down. So one of the ways they did this, and this is just such a fun jam session, by the way. So thank you. Mm -hmm. Is that like you, you remember the moment of trigger Mm -hmm. and let's say you're freezing. That's your Mm -hmm. response. Cause I think, I actually think most people freeze more than they realize it's like our, one of our more, I think it's more dominant than fight and, Mm -hmm. and flight in some ways for some people, but, um, just to, to begin like wiggling your hands and wiggling your feet, mm-hmm. like in the meeting, just mm-hmm. a very slow coming back to the body and that that helps you like, oh, I've gone away. I was scared. Okay. And then just like, whether it's rubbing the hands or rubbing the thighs, just like soothing the self to come back right. in order to get out of the freeze mode. Does that, does that mm-hmm. sound yes. like that resonates with your work a little bit? Very much so. Well, and that's yeah. when most of the time I would do hookups in that situation Yeah. Uh, yeah. as a way to calm my nervous system. And, yeah. and 
Absolutely. All of the brain gym tools. And partly why I love the brain gym tools is because like I can do hookups in my lap right now and Mm -hmm. you will have no idea what I'm doing. Right. You know, like it's not, it's not something that takes over the room. Like I don't have to stand up and run over there type. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And, but yeah, so absolutely that completely goes in line and there's so much, I I really wanted to mention uh, the book, my grandmother's hands by Resma Minicum, Mm. because he speaks specifically to uh, our, our racial experience Mm. of, of cultural messages and how that's showing up in our bodies and how, uh, how we have been trained to respond to certain bodies in Mm -hmm. certain ways. Mm -hmm. And one of the biggest tools, and just as you mentioned, is awareness is Mm -hmm. noticing like, Mm -hmm. and that's the first thing that we do in a brain gym session too, is after we say whatever it is we want to do, let's notice our body what's happening. Mm -hmm. Because if you're not aware of something, you can't change it. That's right. Right. And so Mm -hmm. we have to become aware of like those small, minute things. Like I walk into a room, what's happening in my body, whether that's at work or whether it's in a a social, like on the train or, and then all the different layers of people who look different than me or, you know, what's happening in my body and how much of this is something that is grounded in reality or something that I have been trained through my culture, through my, my family, through society's messages, like, Mm. and then, and then how, how can I rewire? How -hmm. can I calm my body? How can I keep my body calm Mm -hmm. so that I can sort through some of the other things and not just be reactionary? Yeah. Cause that's the other thing is we, we're all tend to be very reactionary versus you know that pause is huge in allowing us to notice what's happening can you talk to us a little bit about because I I, I'm really big I had Kimberly Johnson on the podcast and she wrote the book called the wild and the fourth trimester and a few other books she's a somatic practitioner based in San Diego and so she's just a really badass human right and so she talked a lot about this through our friendship and also on the podcast she was like calm is so important to be able to feel safe in the body, like to come back to the body. Like it's unquestionable how important that is. And she also said something a little bit provocative. And I think that this has begun to sink in for me the last couple of years is that like, there is calm and then there's also expression. So like Mm -hmm. regulated nervous system is one that expresses regularly Mm -hmm. and often. And so talk to me a little bit about how that plays with your work and this idea of you said, well, you talk about it actually in the book, you say shaking it out is like a natural response mm-hmm. for, for us and for all animals, basically. Mm-hmm. So talk to us about there is calm, there is regulating, there's getting safe. And then there's also time and space for expression. Absolutely. Yes. <laughs> um, Resma talks about this as well in his book. Um, but if we are not actually allowing ourselves to feel our feelings, then that is a way of carrying of stuckness, right? Mm -hmm. In my work and in a lot of the related works to me, like in Chinese medicine, for instance, is talking about uh, anything that's stuck in the body then creates disharmony in the body and potential illness in the body. And so, yes, uh, 
actually, so Brain Gym, I mentioned there's, well, I can't remember if I mentioned to you earlier or during the session, but there's 26 basic movements and then there's in-depth Brain Gym, which has more movements and other practices. And actually one of the tools or techniques is expression. And so I remember one of my favorites was the uh, circle of, of different types of sounds. So what we would do in a session is go through, and this is if it came up as something that would be supportive, mm -hmm. um, what we would go through all the different types of sounds. So groaning, mm -hmm. crying, laughing, cool. um, screaming, you know, whatever it was, because allowing all of those different types of expression to clear, mm -hmm. right? Because there are certain times, there's been certain times for me where I just want to groan. Like yeah. I just yeah. want to groan. <laughs> yeah. And if I get that groan in, then I feel so much better because it's my body's way of processing and moving through right. that emotion or whatever it is that I'm experiencing or holding. So yes, expression is huge. And I feel very blessed that uh, I, writing, you know, I, I always wanted to be an author. Writing was a huge form of expression for me and still mm -hmm. is, is mm -hmm. to put things on paper. I remember when I was angry, I would write whatever I was feeling over top of itself so that nobody else could read what I was writing. Mm. But I was able to say like whatever I needed to say that was really mm -hmm. awful, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, because <laughs> it needed somewhere to live. It needed yeah. to go yeah. somewhere. Yeah. So yes, I'm, I'm all about, in fact, when in the video that's, that's going to be coming out about um, when your kid is feeling angry, one of the first things is give them a channel to be angry, yeah. you know, yeah. let to, them, to let them hit that emotion. pillow. Yeah. 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 Um, so yes, very much. I, so. I kind of get like angry, which is a good emotion to feel about this topic. Right. But I, I kind of like not ironic, but I kind of get angry that our whole lives, we were told to calm down, yes. just calm down, just be still. I mean, to sit and to learn, to sit in a desk and learn mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. when you're in a developing brain to me is like, just absolutely ludicrous. It's I mean, yeah, it's I went to a conference the other day and we sat for six hours and listened to someone speak. And I was like, yo, I'm out of here. Like, <laughs> no way, homie. Like I can't do this. And it's just, it just, it makes me check out. So anyway, I think that I do believe that we are coming across to new ways of thinking about learning and the brain and development and, um, how to not be, you know, stuck little robots in our seats. Mm -hmm. We get to use our bodies and to express. Mm -hmm. And my hope is that in the next few generations, it's normal for kids to be able to feel a feeling at school or mm -hmm. for adults to have a room where they can go just do downward dog and like shake mm -hmm. it out and put on a song by pink and dance. Cause you've mm -hmm. had nine meetings. Like that's not, that's not, that's not crazy. That's actually mm -hmm. like really normal. <laughs> and you yeah. know that. <laughs> and supportive. Yeah. To, to yeah. being a better you know, it's, employee or whatever. Yeah. Being a better human. It's just, mm -hmm. it's just a normal way to regulate the the mind and body. So I just, I love that you're doing this. And I think the more mediums we can have people out there just expressing and writing about it and talking about it. I think that we are definitely more so now than 40 years ago, right? We are in a different space where these conversations are welcome. They are part of 
clinical settings. Mm -hmm. They're part of non-clinical settings. You know, I'm mm -hmm. not, I'm not in a clinical setting anymore, but I still talk a lot about these techniques with my clients. So, um, I'd like to talk a little bit about you, Kelsey, we, on the school of unlearning. I, I help people in, in these conversations really unearth sort of where they are and where they, um, where they are also unlearning. So I, I'd like to kind of have you um, shift if you'd like some of the light to yourself more specifically and just share a little bit about what you're unlearning, whether it be about writing a book or mm -hmm. continuing your work or in motherhood, like what are some of the things that you're, mm -hmm. that are coming up for you again and again, that you're unlearning these days? I feel like it's probably in motherhood. <laughs> There's mm -hmm. a lot to unlearn in motherhood. <laughs> I bet. Oh goodness. Um, yeah, I think what's coming up for me right now, we mentioned before we hopped on the call of just the exhaustion that sometimes comes in general, being a human, but also being a mother. Mm. And something that I am unlearning in this moment is that me at, you know, 40% is still a beautiful gift uh, in motherhood, because it's especially if my child is up through the night and I am operating on uh, small amounts of sleep, I just feel like I'm not present, available, you know, have the capacity as I like to have as a parent. Mm -hmm. But remembering even as we've had this call that I can offer so much to my child in that state through sharing the tools or through taking care of myself or through stepping away or through asking for help. I mean, asking for help, I think has always been a theme for me, but becoming a parent, asking for help is absolutely necessary <laughs> to thriving. Like it's absolutely necessary. And there, I could go down the rabbit hole of our culture and our society and the fact that we don't have community mm. around a birthing you know, around a birthing parent and mm. around um, parents in general have that support system. Mm -hmm. Like you really have to work hard for it in our culture because our culture does not honor it and uplift it and celebrate it in the yeah. way that I think it needs to. So yeah, unlearning that there is something flawed or wrong with me as a mm -hmm. sensitive parent when I just feel really out of it mm -hmm. and to just trust that even in those moments I am offering a type of love and a type of modeling that is useful and supportive mm -hmm. um, but it's a hard lesson to learn because when I feel out of it I feel really out of it <laughs> yeah yeah and, you know, having another person witness you, having a child witness you at all stages of your being is so exposing. <laughs> mm, very vulnerable. Very vulnerable. Yeah. And, and because I care so deeply and want to be such, um, I want, you know, I take my job as parent very seriously. Let's just mm -hmm. put it that way. And, um, so giving myself a lot of grace when I am not my best is a huge unlearning slash learning that I am continuing. Yeah. Plus one for that. Um, and, and flexing that muscle driving down that highway. 
a lot, yeah. a lot for you and for everyone listening. Amen. Um, and, and just the unlearning that we don't have, why do we have to be at hundred percent for us to be valuable? Like right. a lot Huge. of us at 60%, 50%, 40% are still doing some remarkable Amazing. things. <laughs> like, you know, um, and, and, and where did percentages even come from? Who made up the graph? <laughs> like, I don't understand where any of these things came from, but yeah. I, I do because society, right. But, um, right. I think that I, I want to have you talk a little bit about what do you think people who are listening here, and I, we've been speaking about this quite directly, actually, but just to put a bow on it, what do you think people um, can learn about emotional regulation? Like, what are the things that they need to unlearn about emotions that would help them walk away from this podcast today and begin to create a new path? Hmm. Hmm. One is something that you mentioned earlier. I want everyone to step away feeling like their sensitivity is an asset. Mm -hmm. Yes, just like with anything else, it comes with challenges, right? But their sensitivity is a gift. It's important. And it is extraordinarily valuable. Like our world desperately needs mm. sensitivity on so mm. many levels and mm. awareness on so many levels so mm -hmm. to really give yourself a big hug if people mm -hmm. have been telling you that you're too sensitive or that your sensitivity is unworthy in any way <laughs> um so that's the first big one and mm -hmm. you know then as far as speaking to emotions is just you know, finding a safe space, I encourage anyone who's listening to find a safe space to let their emotions express just the gift of allowing yourself to express there's been so many times whether it's in therapy or in my own room. Mm -hmm. um, after allowing the expression to come through that I just feel light and clear mm -hmm. and abundant mm -hmm. and connected mm -hmm. because I've allowed it mm -hmm. to come through. So um, just to know that even if it feels scary, if mm -hmm. it does feel scary, find a support system, mm -hmm. um, but that there is so much beauty on the other side mm -hmm. of that expression. So yeah, do not hide from, from the bigness of those feelings that, you know, it will carry you to an extraordinary place if you allow it to. I love that. I'm going to, I'm going to zoom in on a few of these things if I can. Mm -hmm. If anyone here listening has someone in their life who says you're too sensitive, I have some great comebacks for you. <laughs> <laughs> the first one is someone says you're too sensitive, Lisa. And I'll be like, well, the last time I checked being insensitive is not a compliment, <laughs> nor is it helpful. Mm -hmm. And the second thing I would say, if someone says you're too sensitive, I'd be like, sounds like you're being really sensitive to my sensitivity. I don't like, <laughs> sounds like it's just too much for you. <laughs> like, that's what I would say. Like mic drop, right? Like get out of my face. <laughs> um, cause I think it's important, you know, yeah, like to bring a sense so of important. humor and also like radical candor to it. Like, yeah. sorry, buddy, this is my world. Yeah. You don't have to be in it if you're, um, 
And the, the other thing you said about emotions is that they, this, the, the, the beauty on the other side, you know, there's a few things I'll hyperlink in our, our notes today, of course, your book and, uh, you know, the Kickstarter behind it that we're all going to support and get it off the ground for you. But, you know, Susan David, who wrote the book, Emotional Agility, she said that emotions are data, not directives. So they're data, they're giving us data, ah, anger, okay, protection, boundary has mm -hmm. been broken. Okay. It's just mm -hmm. mobilizing you to take action to protect mm -hmm. yourself. That's all in some, uh, verbal, physical, or, you know, um, cognitive way. And that we, but they, they don't have to direct our lives that we don't mm -hmm. have to be like, I, I imagine actually, I'm, I'm going to use the word hook, not because of your example earlier with the, the skill, the tool, but like, I imagine when people are reactive, it's like a hook just sweeps in, swoops in across from the screen and just like takes you off into left field and the emotion is owning the, the day and you don't mm -hmm. even get a chance to breathe. Like, mm -hmm. but emotions are just data. And if we learn how to ask the questions, then we begin to say, okay, what's here for me to learn? How do I then begin to create, you know, mm -hmm. options and behaviors mm -hmm. that are intelligent for the emotion? So I, I love that. Um, mm -hmm. And before we close, I just want to ask you my last question. We'll get into rapid fire in a minute. But my last question to you is, um, how do you define unlearning? Like, what is the, what comes up when you hear the phrase unlearning? And how would you define it? Mm. Mm. Unlearning, Ooh. dismantling. I'm doing a lot of unlearning around colonialism, so I'm thinking about decolonial. <laughs> um, but yeah, for me, unlearning would be taking apart and evaluating and then rebuilding mm. from a space of more love and and awareness and understanding. But yeah, the oh, this isn't functioning. Let's take it all apart and then build it back up into something that makes more sense. Um, yeah, that's what's coming to mind for me. And just briefly, what you said about everything you said was so beautiful. And something that I return to often is I believe self-love is listening with love and then taking loving action. Mm. Notice what's happening and then what is the most loving step in that next moment mm. yeah taking apart evaluating building back up that's what i with love what, with love with more yeah. love with and more understanding of the pieces that no longer fit yeah yeah that's beautiful um as we close we're gonna do rapid fire for fun um some yeah. questions will be um, playful and some questions will challenge you. Um, the first question is what book are you currently reading? Oh, I am reading, I'm reading a few books, but I'm reading, um, micro joys by my friend, C Cindy Spiegel. Cool. Uh, she's lovely. Check her out. Okay. Is it audiobook or is it hand like hardcover book? Hardcover book hardcover. Yeah. Um, it, when you travel, is it, 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 this could be other things too. Is it like mountains or ocean that you kind of gravitate towards? Oh, uh -oh. <laughs> I mean, I have to say both because I was yeah. born in Colorado. Yeah. I was born in the mountains. I love the mountains, but I love me a beach. <laughs> yeah. Good. So. Good for you. Yeah. Um, if you were to travel any place this year on your bucket list, where would you go? Scotland comes to mind. 
because I've I've been there multiple times. I actually studied there for a while. I love I love Scotland. I feel very connected. Yeah. There. Mm-hmm. Your current favorite emotion. Um I know. Well, I think I am going to say anger, actually, because like it's been coming up for me and I've been letting myself hit a pillow or like, you know, yeah, lap yeah. a pillow. And Feel then it. I'm like, look at me. Yeah. It's my re-owning of that has been very satisfying. So very good. Um, matcha or coffee? Matcha. Okay. <laughs> now, these questions are going to get a little controversial. So I just need you to hang with me here. Um, is a hot dog a sandwich? <laughs> say no. I'm going to say no. It's not. It's not a sandwich. Okay. okay. Um, is cereal soup? No. Yeah, <laughs> I, I agree. Um, okay. Th- those are big ones. Um, last piece of advice for people listening here before we close. Mm, be gentle with yourself and ask for help if you need it. I love that. Um, Kelsey, it was incredible to have you on today. Really fun, fluid, um, easy conversation. I think we're both in our our zone of passion and love here around this topic. Um, And I'm so glad you have used her creative expression to write this book and to get it out to as many schools and teachers and parents as possible. And frankly, some CEOs might benefit from it too. So (laughs) might be gifting it to some of my clients. Um, It is one of the more powerful things I think we can do on this planet um, is to befriend our emotions and learn how to work with them versus against them. So your work is needed and so valuable. Um, I will put everything in the show notes and we will go out there and support you. Thank you so much. Hey friends, thanks for listening to the School of Unlearning podcast. You can follow us on Spotify and iTunes. Be sure to check out the show notes, complete with links and insight you won't want to miss. If you enjoyed this episode, take one minute to rate, review, and share this podcast. Because our learning and unlearning never ends, and we don't have to do it alone.